everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. We need to talk about just how stupid it is to oppose God, how foolish it seems, how it feels like you have the upper hand, but actually, you're a fool. Um, It's not going to go well for you. Like, what a way to start. (laughs) Today, we're looking at Esther chapter 6 to 10. Uh, Basically, the most famous, I I would guess, the most Mm. famous part of this story is that dear Haman uh, is going to make a couple of missteps. And there's a couple of common ingredients here. There's significant pride and arrogance. Um, There is also God's providential hand being over everything. And Mordecai's like humble faithfulness. So I think it's kind of funny you you start the episode that way one because it just sounds ridiculous but it is it is very true uh, we were watching just like some random news today uh, and it's like it's pretty unsettling to just see the amount of evil in the world yeah um, on like governmental like layers to all the way down to like the nitty gritty you and me everyday stuff. Uh, But when you feel overwhelmed by like people in like very powerful positions that seem like they are definitely on the track toward very evil things, um, it can wear you down. It can like seriously bum you out. And I know I felt that tension today of just like, oh man, like there's bad stuff in this world. But then there's this like relieving factor of like, What's crazy, though, is that God, he's already more powerful than what seems so nuts. Like the most powerful and scary thing around you, God is already beyond it, if not like able to squash it in a second. So I think what's crazy about reading these, uh, reading about these two super powerful individuals, one who was ready to basically wipe out the entire Jewish population that would have eventually like ruined the possibility of Christ coming. God's just like, okay, yeah, you guys think you're really something, but I have like, like I'm the creator of this entire world. Like I've already overcome you before you thought you were as good as you were. Um, So I think that's just like a reassuring feeling. Like anytime you go against God, you've already lost. So it's just, it's a powerful thought to just think about (laughs) the limitations that we have and the scariest thing you can think of God's already He's already conquered it. I talked yesterday about how when Haman makes this decree, um, Mordecai tells Esther about it. And then Esther uh, wisely declares a fast, like a three-day fast and prayer. She doesn't even let the people drink. And everybody just kind of like goes straight to God. Mm -hmm. I think that is a significant piece to take away from Esther. There's several cool little pieces in Esther, but I think a significant one is, okay, they are confronted with significant wickedness. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you talk about people that are making crazy decisions. You talk about people that you know are actively seeking after Satan in his direction. Uh, That's pretty wicked stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. that's pretty crazy, uh, just overwhelming stuff. And our response should be like Esther's, uh, to go straight to God, to deny ourselves, uh, to seek counsel from the Lord, and ask the Lord to act. Like, hey, God... You got to do something here mm-hmm. because this is evil. I can see that it's evil. I need you to work uh, on our behalf to honor your name. And he does. And so the the funny thing that gets set up here in chapter 6 to 10 is that the king, King Asherus, King Xerxes, 
uh, is not able to sleep. So he's reminded by reading over this book of noble acts that Mordecai had saved his life. And so he goes to Haman and says, hey, I'd love for you to give me some good ideas on how to really honor somebody. (laughs) And Haman immediately is like, oh, my goodness, he must be talking about me. Uh, which is just incredible pride and arrogance. That is incredible mm-hmm. pride and arrogance that I have experienced in my own life with certainty. I've experienced that and thought too highly of myself. Um, it's just silly. Like if, if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know how stupid it feels on the other side. Like when it's like, oh, they must be going to honor me. It looks like I'm going to get that promotion. It looks like I'm going to get that pat on the back. And then it's like, oh, thanks for your input. We can't wait to honor Mordecai. You're like, (laughs) oh, snap. Uh, So that is what happens to Haman. Uh, Haman is kind of like setting up this wonderful plan for himself that he would wear the royal robes. He he even makes sure to outline that like the king has worn them before. Mm -hmm. And then he's supposed to be paraded around on a horse and there's supposed to be a guy declaring how wonderful he is. And then the king's like, good, do that for Mordecai and make sure you tell everybody how wonderful he is. Oh, man, that probably like killed him inside. Now, granted, he's like a super evil guy, but um, it's just it's interesting how. Again, God is like laughing at this. I'm assuming like you guys are so silly. Like yeah. this is ridiculous. You yeah. think you're these big cool guys that have it all together. You've got every single like step laid out ahead of you. And that like clearly slaps uh old Haman in the face in this story. Well, it's it's wild too because Haman had just finished completing these enormous gallows to have Mordecai yeah. hung on. And <laughs> The only way that this could have been arranged the way that it is is if God was in control of the situation. Yeah. So Esther declares this fast. Uh, the king, for some reason, cannot sleep. That reason is God. He is reminded of Mordecai's faithfulness, and he seeks to honor Mordecai, which is because of God. And then Haman accidentally honors Mordecai, and then Esther is able to make the case that Haman needs to be hung on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. So it's, it's wild. It, mm-hmm. The whole story is wild. Okay, so there's a couple of historical notes that I want to recognize here. Um, one, we talked about yesterday about how this is King Xerxes, who um, was the leader of yeah, a little the... confusing there. <laughs> he's the leader of the, the guys, if you've seen the movie 300, he's the leader of the army that comes against the Spartans when he's trying to invade Greece uh, through Thermopylae, and he is unable to do so. That's such a weird so movie So he's also. a super, super wicked king, super crazy, powerful guy. Um, that is what he's most well known for. One of the historical pushbacks on this story, um, outside of the ones we talked about yesterday, uh, if you didn't hear that, go back and check it out. Uh, But one of the pushbacks is like, okay, so Mordecai ends up being like this Jewish guy ends up being Xerxes' right-hand man. Like, Mm -hmm. how does that even make sense? Well, think back to Joseph and Pharaoh. It never does make sense, does it? That's what's really interesting. There's a long history of really prominent, faithful people that end up being like vice presidents to really evil, wicked people. And God puts them in those positions. You think about Daniel, uh, you think about Joseph, like it is, it it happens. And so here Mordecai's in that role. And a lot of people say like, hey, we have Persian history. There's no Mordecai in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the interesting things is there is a guy named uh, Marduk or Marduka. (laughs) And many people believe that that is like the Persian variant 
of Mordecai. So there actually are cuneiform tablets that record that Xerxes had this right-hand leader named Marduka, which is like the Persian equivalent of Mordecai. So we actually have like some, mm. it's it's a little bit flimsy. It's not the strongest historical evidence that we have. But there's something. It's not just an but absent person. There is a case to be made for it. There's also um, like a cuneiform tablet that talks about Xerxes' queen uh, and the name that it lists. I forget the name that it lists. I don't have it in front of me here. Um, but it, it could be a variant of the name Esther as well. The the hmm. goofy part is it could also be a variant of the name Vashti, which which oh. either way actually confirms some of the information that's that's listed in, in the, the book Bible, of Esther. Yeah. Like if it's Vashti, that's what the book says. If it's Esther, that's what the book says. Um, so it's it's Esther has a little bit more flimsy historical background than some of the other historical books that we've looked into. Um, and there's there's a lot of pushback across history towards this story, but it is not without evidence, uh, and it is somewhat loosely supported and so it, it does help us actually firm up like what god is doing here mm -hmm. um it helps us have faith in text faith in the story even though there is pushback there is also evidence and it's it's pretty incredible like one of the things you said at the beginning jenny is that um had haman been successful there wouldn't be a jesus there wouldn't be a joseph mm -hmm. there wouldn't be a mary there wouldn't be like there wouldn't be a Paul, like it just wouldn't happen. And so this is how God chooses to keep his people. Well, and what's interesting too is uh, it talks a lot about, you said Purim, I say Purim, I don't know. <laughs> I probably said it wrong. I taught a lot about this uh, in uh, third, when I used to teach third grade at a Christian school, we would always talk about the book of Esther, but would talk a little bit about Purim and do like the little, we made little uh, cookies that were the shape of Haman's hat. They're called Hamantosh, and I believe that's how you say it, or Haman, whatever. Wow. Regardless, super cool, fun stuff. However, uh, this this holiday is, like, still celebrated today by Jewish people, still recognized because of, like, the, the promise that God had given to Abraham all the way back that he would um, give so many generations that eventually... Jesus would come from this. Um, so like all these generations are like following through with this celebration. However, for us, it's not necessarily like something that we have to reflect on. Like we don't have to celebrate this. This isn't something that we're like, feel like we need to be obligated to. However, something that we like can take from this, because when I read this, I oftentimes think like, this isn't really for me. Um, but what I can, I guess, recognize from this is God's sovereign plan over a people um, that he was, I guess, what would you say? He's like holding, he's keeping together um, in order to bring Jesus so that I can also like be a part of this this family as a Christian oh, yeah. uh, because of what God did um, through Esther to be able to like preserve his line so that Jesus could come and and save and rescue the world so actually the the your, you could make that a your part i suppose but i think another interesting your part is uh being against god is stupid you, <laughs> it's, you just yep. shouldn't do it i mean and and it there are times in our lives where it seems like wicked people have the upper hand uh, but when we are faithful and true to the lord uh, we know that he always has the upper hand. And whenever you become like, whenever you make that conscious decision in your mind that you're going to be against God or you're going to um, be against God's laws or his people or any of those things, you've already lost. You've already lost the fight because we know that like God is all powerful. He is 
and was and always will be uh, when you decide to to come up against him. You've already lost. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us for Esther. We'll see you guys back tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to our take today. Before we get into the reading, if we could just ask you one thing. Uh, If you've been enjoying the podcast, if you could subscribe to us and then leave a rating and review, we'd love to hear from you. And every rating we get helps us reach more people. Ultimately, we're just trying to reach people with the truth of God's word and your review will help us do that. So thanks so much for being invested in the podcast. Here's the reading for today. Esther chapter six. On that night, the king could not sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, and who had sought to lay hands on King Asherus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended to him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned." So Haman took the robes and the horse, and dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Chapter 7 So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with a loss to the king. Then King Asuras said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. 
And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman in the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Chapter 8 On that day King Asaris gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot on that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the things seem right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, who are all in the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Azarus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him in the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time, in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the twenty-third day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Azarus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods on one day throughout all the provinces of King Azarus on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month which is the month of Adar. A copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on the swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. 
and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor, and in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was great gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday, and many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear that the Jews had fallen on them. Chapter 9. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Asterisk to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and all the satraps and governors of the royal agents had helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, as they did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed five hundred men, and also killed Parshadratha, and Daphon, and Asaphatha, and Portha, and Adliah, and Adiartha, and Parshmathshda, and Ariasa, and Ardai, and Viastha, the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was to be reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel the Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives, and got relief from their enemies, and killed seventy-five thousand of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar, and on the fourteenth day they rested, and made that day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the thirteenth day, and on the fourteenth, and rested on the fifteenth day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the fourteenth day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Asherus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and also the fifteenth day the same, year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and at that month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush them and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, that is, the term Pur. Therefore, 
because all this was written in his letter, and what they had faced in this matter, and what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written at the time that they appointed each year, that these days would be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim shall never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Asherus, in the words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim shall be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. Chapter 10 King Asherus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai, the Jew, was the second in rank to King Asherus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.